If you have championship DNA, then you know it's time to chase wins. We're uh, chasing wins this year. This is Chasing Wins. Welcome back to the Chasing Wins podcast. I'm your host, Andre, joined by my guy, Jim. Uh, You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure to turn on that auto-download feature to get our episodes as soon as they drop. So, Jim, uh, last we spoke, we were basically recapping the Kings series and previewing this Lakers series. Uh, We find ourselves down 3-1 to the Lakers right now. Um, Four games in. What are the keys to game five uh, and getting back into the series overall that that you find um, based on these last four games and based on kind of like what these games have presented to you? What are like the, the positives and negatives that you've been able to identify that will help us get back into the series? Okay, so before we got into the series, we talked about uh, some of the holes uh, that the Warriors could take advantage of uh, against the Lakers, right? Because uh, the biggest thing you want to do going into a series is discover what their biggest weakness is and how to most uh, limit the Lakers' ability to defend. So compromise their defense in some way because they are a strong defensive team with AD playing drop and being inside the paint and just protecting that rim area, that that paint area. He He's got great length. And he's got great athleticism, and it's difficult to finish in there when he's when he's in the paint, right? We can all acknowledge that. And so the best way to uh, limit that situation is to somehow get him out of the paint, right? So put him in whatever action possible that puts him takes him out of the paint, which it it compromises. If you if you're able to do that. If you're able to successfully get him out of uh, what they want to do, then you've uh, been successful in in, in infiltrating their defensive core. And obviously, the best way to do that is to put him in the pick and roll and put put him in a very high pick and roll so that he's very out of the equation. You know, him trying to kind of scramble from like 30, 35 feet. You know what I mean? And that just changes the structure of how the Lakers defend their paint area. After that, it's just LeBron James, right? So, and oftentimes in the pick and roll, one guy ends up being erased. So you often get to play four on three uh, for a short stretch of time. And the key for the Warriors is uh, is just execution, doing it uh, sharply, doing it quickly, and knowing exactly who, um, where you need to be, uh, this kind of thing, right? Uh, spacing the floor well so it, essentially what you're doing is you you start with the pick and roll and then you kind of run into your motion sets in a way if you think about it because now you're reacting and it's easier because uh you have an advantage right the floor is opened up there's much more space to work with nothing is clogged right so it's just about the players making the right decisions so in a way it's kind of like it goes from pick and roll to um emotion in a way uh and that works beautifully when you have a number uh, advantage um you know from a number standpoint and basically they've been all over the map in terms of doing this action uh, they go away from it a lot it, it's inconsistent even though in games two and four uh, it was highly successful when they ran it even in game one dre uh, towards the end of the fourth quarter with like six minutes left they were down 14 and they ran. They started running the high pick and roll, and everything got mucked up for the Lakers, and uh, it worked. Uh, and they nearly pulled off the comeback. But obviously, you know, trying to erase a fourteen lead in that time span—that's a lot to do. And it's it's just you continue to question why why Kerr is actively going away from it, why he needed a quote unquote feel out game. Like you've been coaching this team for nine years. And you've been in these situations. You've been in all kinds of different matchups. And you've seen the advantages the Warriors have had all these years. And it's always been like that. Whether you you know, you know talk about some of the most um, elite or tense or 
the most difficult competition in the playoffs that the Warriors have faced over over the years. And the plan has always been the same. It's to uh, minimize the effectiveness of the other team's defense. And that's to get their big, big or center uh, out of the paint, right? They did that with Capella against the Rockets, right? And so uh, what what happened? Down the stretch of that series, uh, Capella had to be benched because the Rockets adjusted to what the Warriors were doing rather than the other way around, right? Like every game is highly valuable and you can't just waste the game one at home because you are you're somehow doing some kind of quote-unquote uh feel out game does that i've never heard a coach be like you know what i'm saying that's not a fight it's not round one like yeah you know what i'm saying you lose you lose so yeah you have to take advantage of home court and the warriors failed to do that and that was a huge deal because the warriors we all know the warriors have been terrible on the road all season their role players just don't travel well Clay has had a disastrous, uh, you know, series so far on the road. So, so let me ask you this, right? When we run pick and roll, if it's Steph, right? Because it's mostly going to be Steph high ball screen, and not, it's not really it's pick and roll, but it's mostly just high ball screen rather. Like with GP two setting it out, like you know, forty feet out, or um, Looney or Draymond just setting picks like 35 feet out and then they're just slipping screens or they're diving. Like if we're running those actions with, with Steph, where does that leave clay and Wiggins? Like, like they need to be involved in some form and dimension, right? Like should we include them in some pick high ball screen actions as well? Should we use them as play finishers? If the, if the defenders help, um, like how do they, cause you don't want to just go to Steph high ball screen every possession and then they get iced out and then last game you kind of saw like Wiggins missed open shots um Clay didn't really get going he kind of forced some bad shots at the end uh you see like certain guys get iced out so how do you balance like running the pick and roll and running high ball screen stuff effectively but also involving you know, every offensive threat that we have so that it's a more balanced attack. Well, you know, you can't necessarily have your cake and eat it too in the playoffs, Dre, because the Lakers are a great defensive team. Like, let's, let's, you know, let's not act like it's an easy uh, defense to just penetrate and infiltrate. Uh, so what they're doing is they're taking away Clay Thompson, right? And Clay has naturally just, not been as good on the road uh, throughout the history uh, of his playoff career, right? We, sh- we saw this in the first finals. He shot like 40% and he has some really bad shooting games. We saw it last year uh, in game six. You know, he shot five of 20. That, that's just, that's horrible, right? Yet they still won the game handedly. And the same thing in game seven against the Kings. Clay once again, didn't show up. Four of 19 on the road, right? This is more of a trend. Like then, you know, this is not a, like a coincidence. He doesn't play as well on the road and you can call it an adjustment by the other team, whatever the case may be. But um, he can have an off shooting night, but he's still taking something away from the defense by, you know, forcing um, the Lakers to constantly have somebody on him as part of the advantage that he, he can also create. You know, just just because of his ability to hit shots, right? So uh, the biggest thing is when you run the pick and roll, do you consistently have easier shots to work with? You, the the role players may not hit all of them, you know, like it, it, this is a matter of hit and miss. And yeah, Wiggins had some op- wide open shots that he could have hit. He wasn't able to hit. Uh, I, I, f- I feel like there are times where he can attack rather than just settling uh, for the three just because just because um he's wide open you know there is an uh, he can also just take the ball and attack a guy like Reeves uh on certain possessions that's what it is he just ends up in a kind of a one-on-one situation where he can either shoot or he can get a little closer force uh Reeves up on him a little bit and attack him right there there are different ways to attack these open spaces but you have to be prepared for it uh this is one of the frustrations of 
of not running the pick and roll more consistently in the regular season because you need to practice it. You need to have these players feeling really comfortable uh, in those open spaces and figuring out what's the best way for them to be most effective. Uh, all five of them, you know what I mean? And drilling it, drilling it and practicing it is what's going to make you elite come playoff time. You don't have to run it to the ground, but you can certainly practice throughout the course of the regular season. And they don't really do that. So, you know, they're expected to just know it, know it all and just figure it out on the spot in the playoffs. And because these are professional players and because there's so much room to work with, they often figure it out. But they also have the necessary pieces that consistently make good plays out of it. And Gary Payton is certainly one of them. And he showed that in in the last game. You know, seven yeah. of nine from the field. He was elite. I'll right? say this, though. When it comes to you're, – you're right. So the pick and roll stuff, they don't really run it much throughout the season. Um, you see, like, they they really run the motion stuff into the ground. They don't, they don't really practice. Like, I also feel like they don't have a good – diverse like in terms of like diverse sets that they run in the pick and roll like you saw a little bit of Spain pick and roll here and there but not a ton of like layers or uh you know kind of uh different actions and sets they can go to out of it as a like just high ball screen and slip or high ball screen and you know playing off the trap or relocation kind of just very much more simpler actions um and I agree that's something that they they definitely and Steve is it's really on Steve to kind of add those things to his playbook and kind of emphasize them because um, in the playoffs, you want to have counters and like, and, and it's funny because even though we kind of have like a more rudimentary uh, like ball screen type of type of playbook, like we, it's still very effective. Like that's the, like, it's, you know, imagine like if we actually put some time and some emphasis on it during the regular season, it'd make a probably a, a big difference. I will also say, like, in the non-AD minutes, like, I do think going back to motion wouldn't be the worst thing because it keeps the defense on their toes. And also, uh, if you're forcing Wenyan and LeBron to, like, rotate and, and take them out the paint and forcing them to, like, make decisions, that's better than, like, running high, like high ball screen every time. And it becomes more predictable because – now you just got kind of similar actions thrown their way. In in the AD minutes, I think running motion is a death is a death sentence. But in the non-AD minutes, I think you got to mix it up a bit more because if you just th- keep throwing the defense the same look, they're going to eventually figure out like rotations and timing and all that stuff. Um, so, so, so <clears throat> I mean, the final play that they ran uh, that that's that's a really good example of. I understand uh, AD was on the floor at the time, but uh, LeBron knows exactly what they're doing in the motion, right? You're not fooling anybody. They know how to blow it up. All they got to do is switch a bunch of actions instead of, you know what I'm saying? Like trying to recover on the screens. I would say the difference is is that while LeBron has the know-how, he can't clean up, like he can't cover ground the way AD does. And so even though like, so here's what I would say. I would say, like, it wouldn't be the worst thing to run Clay off of screens. And if they switch it, like, obviously then, you know, but there will be a mismatch at some point. Like, Jordan is going to find himself on, like, a big. Or, like, Clay is going to see, like, a smaller guard. You can attack that. Or maybe even Wiggins can find a matchup where he can go downhill. I just feel like we can't – we got to be less predictable because I think – even with the pick and roll, it, we saw kind of in the fourth quarter it got a bit predictable. Um, they were just switching stuff, and we were kind of we we went away from it at times. But like Steph kind of just was settling for certain shots because they were packing the paint, and he was kind of forced to take just higher di- degree of difficulty shots. How so, many how many high pick and rolls against AD that they even did they actually run though? No, they, they went away from it. They were, but, but the exactly. few that they did run. Like, like even in the fourth quarter in that those last couple possessions, like LeBron was just hunt, like he was ready to help and he was going to help off of Wiggins. Clay was like, I mean, they were going to stick to clay, but um, I just feel like with the pick and roll stuff, like, and they ran six in total in the second half, which is ridiculous. I guess they did. at some point. Yeah. At some point though, you do have to like find pockets in the game where 
you're like not running disagree. the same stuff. I don't disagree, but um, you talk about predictability. Uh, uh, the Warriors, you can say that the pick and roll is predictable, you know, but it doesn't change the fact that it creates an automatic advantage for them. You know, the Lakers have done their best to make adjustments in some way. And one of the things that they did was put AD on uh, Andrew Wiggins. And I, I don't know if that was the reason why they deaded it, but, um, you know, Wiggins, Wiggins can also be a little more effective in the pick and roll if, if they use them more in it. Um, Cause he was kind of settling for shots, which I didn't love. Uh, there's another thing that was happening uh, very early in the fourth quarter where Gary Payton, um, there's a couple of things like I feel that he needs a more clear direction in terms of what to do when he's wide open. And I would say in the pick and roll, because, okay. So in the motion, uh, Gary Payton often kind of, he waits to see if there's action for Steph Curry to coming off the curl or something like this, you know what I'm saying? Uh, relocating or something like that. So uh, he looks to see what happens in the motion. Uh, whereas pick and roll is more, uh, it's more reactionary and you have to kind of just take what they give you or what uh, what what ends up being the best shot. And sometimes that's a three-point shot from Gary Payton, okay? And there was a moment where he was wide open and he chose not to take it and he gave it to Steph Curry uh, who got to the three-point line, but his defense uh, was right there. Right. His defender was right there. So it ended up being a really bad shot for Steph, even though it's Steph over GP2 that took the shot. So there's context to what kind of shot that you get. And when you get a wide open shot like that, Gary Payton, I like his shot. He has a really good form and he has a really good set shot. And when he shoots it with confidence, I believe in it. Uh, We've seen him hit it. We he saw he hit it in the first half of the game. right? Right. So and that was when he was in rhythm. So. You know, if anything, if he misses something like that, then if I would say call a timeout, if you're Steve Kerr, you got to be like, GP, when you're that open, I want you to shoot it. I want you to shoot it with confidence. That's what happened with Andre Iguodala as well, by the way. In the first finals, uh, he was matched up against Mozgov and he was getting like wide open looks, right? So Andre shot them with confidence when he was wide open and he hit them, right? That's a big part of the equation to have pieces that are confident enough to hit when they're wide open. And um, instead of giving him this kind of message, you know what I'm saying? And encouraging him to be more aggressive. uh, Kurt took him out. He took him out. I think he did it because uh, he didn't like that. Gary Payton didn't shoot it. Right. Uh, And he took him out and he he never brought him back. He put Moody in. And I guess the idea with Moody was like better spacing Right. I mean, the defense, we know GP2 is the better defender. The spacing's the same, Dre. The spacing's the Dre. It's a matter of what they do in that act and what right. they decide well, to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying more so horizontal, like perimeter spacing, just like stretching out to the three. And not that GP2 can't shoot it, but he's not like a volume guy. Like Moody, Moody is more comfortable just taking that shot at the first, at the first opening. GP2 is more so like, yeah, I may be open, but maybe there's a better shot. Whereas Moody is just more of a cat by nature, a catch and shoot guy. But I still agree, like GP2 should have closed for defensive purposes. He's a he's a good rebounder. Um, and as a slasher, he could have added some rim pressure. Like he definitely and he was very effective in that first half, like super effective. Seven of nine, Dre. That's elite. He was their second best player. Yeah. Yeah, the way he was finishing it inside the paint, and like he just even if the defense like tries to recover a little bit on him, he knows how to fake. He knows how to get them out of position and just get a get a layup wide, you know, right over them anyway. So let me ask you this: if we if we so when we talk about getting back into the series and especially Game Five tonight, do we like have to concede that if we do lean into pick and roll, like? We're gonna have to live with Wiggins. Like, if Wiggins misses shots, we're just that's just the reality of it. If you know, um, Clay or whoever, if Jordan Poole, um, they're missing these shots, like, then we're just gonna have to live with that because, like, Wiggins missed a couple open shots and Clay kind of forced the issue on a couple possessions, but like, 
they it's not like they got the worst looks overall last night. The quality wasn't too bad. They kind of forced it at the end, but like um that that game like Wiggins had some really open looks. Um Clay had didn't have too many, but Steph got some. He missed some easy shots. Like is it better to just kind of lean into, you know, just a make or miss league type of thing where you guys just produce quality looks, but I don't know because the defense is going to live with Wiggins missing shots. They're going to live with leaving him open. But the motion also is like, right? You see what I'm saying? There's flaws with both. Um, that's why I think you've got to do a health. There's got to be a healthy balance between them. You can't, if you lean into one, they're just going to probably leave Wiggins open or they're going to, you know, uh, trap the ball screen with Steph and figure out a way to rotate or switch certain actions with AD on the perimeter like they did at the end. I'm telling you, man. Like, yeah. Um, that if they finish that game with uh, GP two, they win that game. You know, like when yeah. you have number one, when you have multiple threats at the rim, uh, that would and that would be Wiggins and GP two, right? And uh, in open in open space, uh, Draymond as well, right? And and he can uh create, and it's easier for Drake to create when the players have uh, multiple skill sets that that they can rely on, uh, in open space. And so, and then defensively, like you said, uh, they're just more elite with GP2 in there. Uh, they just, they settle too much, allowing uh, Steph Curry to be uh, switched up against a bunch of guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, they have so, to just, so yeah. let's So let's just kind of recap this. So I believe GP2 should start, like, the rest of this year. I don't think you don't tinker with it. I think one of the things I noted um, I tweeted this out on Twitter. I said, this was also subtle, but something that I knew would happen. GP2 gives us some extra quickness and transition. Like there was like three or four layups he gave us just off of just cherry picking or just being able to be speedy and quick. And he just kind of just finds his, his way underneath the basket and just gives us some free points. Nobody can do it like he can. And, and in transition, that's super valuable. Like, we had some really free points just off of that. Um, so I I believe we should start and close with – and close especially. And I get it. There's limitations. But if you run ball screens, I'm you're going to get a clean look. It's just a matter of are you going to live with Wiggins missing open shots? Are you going to live with – would you rather go with, like, the theoretical, like, the better perimeter spacing? Or would you rather just go with, you know, whatever the defense gives you, take advantage and – if Wiggins is open, maybe we. I guess we just have to live with that. If Clay's open, you're gonna you're gonna have to live with that. If they if they switch it on Steph, you probably just have to live with that. Um, but at least GP offers some defensive um, ability and value that you know maybe can get it back on the other end if we're struggling to score. Um, so I think we should start and close games with GP two, yeah. and. He should be playing at least. I mean, how many minutes did he play? I put what 25? 23. 20, 23. Yeah, 23. So here's the problem. He should be playing um, about 25 to 30, I think, at least. Yeah. The problem I, I don't understand like what's going on. And we need more clarity from like the media members, the Warriors media has to ask questions, like tough questions that uh, provides answers to what the hell is going on with GP2. Uh, I think he threw up in his mouth in the first quarter, so he had to. Yeah. He like left in the middle of it, and he wasn't feeling well. I don't. And, didn't and Draymond, like he, he didn't even realize it. He threw, threw the ball away, thinking GP was there, uh, and he just throws it away as a turnover, right? And um, it just yeah, yeah. I'm, okay, you talk about like mixing it up with motion and pick and roll and whatever. Um, I'm I, I'm gonna say a couple of things in, in regards to that. Number one. That may be more feasible and that may be more easier to get away with uh, at home than on the road. On the road, uh, you just can't waste a bunch of possessions. They're not good at good on the road. Their role players are certifiably worse uh, at converting shots um, on the road. It's part of the reason why they've been awful all season on the road, just playing the motion, right? So if it's something that didn't really work in the regular season, is it really going to work in the playoffs? against an elite team that knows exactly what you're doing, anticipating what you're doing. Uh, and they have the motion like read like a book. Uh, it didn't work uh, in the, in uh, game three, right. Uh, when they did run it uh, and 
it didn't work when they tried to run it with the game on the line. Um, so, I mean, that's a talk about a horrendous way to end the game on a fucking turnover. You know, you don't even get a shot opportunity. Uh, Draymond, you know, runs the hammer and he just, <laughs> if the pass is not there, hold the damn ball. Don't just, don't just risk a pass that that's going to get stolen. You know what I mean? That's crazy. That's insane. It's the second time he's looked off Steph Curry. And uh, there's so many nuances there that it really upset me. This is the second time, by the way, in the series where Draymond went away from Steph Curry with the game on the line. He did it in game one where uh, Steph was coming off uh, the the DHO looking for the ball back. And Draymond went to Jordan Poole, who took that 30-footer, and he ended up missing it, right? And it's just like... If Steph Curry made that decision where he's like, okay, well, I got two guys on me and uh, I need to get somebody an open shot. I like that pass off of Steph Curry's hands much better than, you know, Draymond's hands. You know what I mean? Because you're you're not allowing your best player to dictate how you want the game to conclude. You're allowing your secondary playmaker to make that decision. And that's not cool, man. What What superstar in the history of the sport has not had the opportunity to... Um, have the faith in his hands in terms of the decisions that, that are going to happen. You know, Steve Kerr, as a player, hit a wide-open shot to, like, win a game. You know, Paxson, like, like these guys have won the game, but their passes directly off of Michael Jordan doubles, right? So I don't like that. I don't like that they took that decision away from Steph Curry, not once but twice with the game absolutely on the line. Um, Let me ask you this. Um Jordan Poole, uh, you mentioned a couple things about that, um, turnovers and decision-making. Uh, what do you think about, you know, obviously he's had a really bad series so far. I mean, that's an understatement. Um, he had zero points, 0 for 4 from the field, 0 for 2 from 3. Last game, he only played 10 minutes. Uh, he was a minus 6. Since game one, because he, he had 21 points in game one, and they were running some good stuff, some ball screens. Um, he was just, you know, he hit six threes. But since then, I mean, he's been, I wouldn't even say pedestrian. Like, he has just been a clear negative on the court. Um, what about Jordan Poole are you seeing that, you know, that can explain why he's struggling the way he has? And how do you see him maybe – resolve those issues in game five and going forward if you even see it at all um because i want to give it an opportunity here to like i i do still think he's talented enough to figure it out i just it's not looking great and it's not just the offensive end right it's the defensive end it's not like if, if it was gp2 right giving you two points or eight points or zero points like you already know his value comes on the defensive end and He's, he's adding, you know, he's not turning the ball over. Like, he's doing positive things out there. Jordan, if he's not scoring the basketball, he's not adding value in other ways necessarily. I mean, as a playmaker, he's average, maybe slightly above average at best. Um, you know, and, and so, like, when you kind of put all those things together, like, again, what do you, what do you see in him uh, so far, and what do you think about his role going forward? Okay, so first thing is Jordan, generally speaking, plays better at home than he does on the road, uh, especially in a playoff setting where he's just not accustomed to dealing with uh, pressure. When pressure hits, he has a tendency to kind of shut down and kind of this is where he this is when he starts doing the crazy shit like, you know, turning the ball completely inexplicably, losing his dribble, slipping on the floor, doing some goofy shit where he probably wouldn't be pl making that play if he was more under control, more poised. Uh, yeah, just composed in general. And he kind of loses that the more pressure there is. And obviously, there's more pressure on the road. Uh, you know, he had a pretty good game in game one. Jordan Poole did. He had 21 points on 15 shots. He hit like six threes. Uh, and that was, that was at home, right? Uh, so... There are opportunities for him to be able to play well, and um, we can definitely expect him to play better in Game 5 because it's at home. I think we can hopefully expect the same from Klay Thompson, who's just been a disaster on the road. You know, these first two games, just 
completely atrocious. You know, the first first game on the road, six turnovers, zero assists to six turnovers. That is just completely atrocious, right? And then uh, this the ga- uh, game four, like he's burping up like hero shots because he's not getting looks. Or I understand it; it can get frustrating, right? But he just has to be patient until and let the game come to him, you know, and. It just forcing the issue and taking these ill-advised shots. That that's just not it. And you have to accept that the Lakers and elite teams are going to do what they can to take something away. Uh, and if it, if in the pick and roll that means taking something away from Clay Thompson, then that is what it is. They're still generating amazing offense when they run that pick and roll uh, with AD up top. So you have to go with what works best above all. You know this is not. We don't have the liberty. We don't have the leisure, the luxury, uh, the luxury, or whatever you want to call it, the margin for a margin for error to be messing with like, oh, but we got to sacrifice this and that so that hopefully Jordan Poole can get going. You know what I'm saying? Those the time for that is over. So he either needs to produce or he doesn't. Right. Well, and I'm noticing like on him. the the lineups when Steph and and Poole are on the court. Um, Steph tends to at times like defer and like allow Jordan to kind of get in rhythm and, and develop some, some, con- some continuity and, and, and settle into the game. You don't think you, you think like, look, it's boom or bust. If, if he, you know, starts off, hits the ground running and he plays well, like you ride that wave. But if he, um, comes out, turnover you know misses some shots and bad defense defense. then it's he's just unplayable and people think I like don't like Jordan Poole but I just don't like how he plays like I I just think he's not a he doesn't he's not a winning player um he doesn't add to winning when the ball doesn't go in the basket um this is why I love like guys like Otto Porter GP2 um, and to a lesser extent, Dante. Dante's had a rough playoffs, but you see, like, even last game, he had 10 points, but it wasn't even the points. There were some plays where he got a couple stops. Like, even though Dante's probably the lower tier of, of the of the role players, like, you still see, like, how he's way, he's just clearly more playable than Jordan, right? He's just fighting over screens. He's active. He's trying to, you know, make something happen with the on the glass. Like, he's trying to make an impact. He's limited, but you know, like Jordan, it's just like if shots aren't falling, his value is almost non-existent on the court. So, yeah, I mean, maybe you just kind of see, you know, what he can give you, and if he doesn't give you anything, you kind of got to you got to bench him. Um, and there's a long-term thing to this as well, where you know maybe we have to move off of him in the off-season as well. Um, if this isn't going to be a fit, which it probably won't be. Um, I don't see it, but you know, like Steph deferring, you know, it's, it looks good when it's Kevin Durant, but when it's Jordan Poole or when it's Clay Thompson or when it's Draymond, like it's just a different, it's just a different look. Like it's just less efficient possessions. It's not as, you know, it's not as sexy. It's not as, um, is you're just not going to get the same looks. Right. And I get what Steph is doing. He's trying to get others involved and trying to get them in rhythm, trying to incorporate and involve everybody. But, I mean, the way Jordan Poole's been playing, I don't know what you do. I mean, they're running high ball screens. I think the one thing they can do a little bit better, and this is on Jordan too, to like make a conscious effort to attack in the non-AD minutes downhill. Like, you got to like get into the paint. Find a way to draw fouls. He really, he's gotten like one free throw or like... He hasn't even. I don't think he's gotten like more than five free throws all series. I think it's Trey, only like, I, no, yeah. Trey. I think that's part of the problem is that right. he flails and flops around too much, uh, hoping for calls that don't come. Uh, right. The playoffs is generally more just defense is more. You're allowed to be more aggressive defensively, and you have right. to adjust to that. And uh, you know you just can't be flopping all over the place, hoping for calls, and then get upset looking at the refs and all this and let it get to your head and now you don't know what to do. Like just play the game honestly uh, and try to finish as strongly as you humanly possibly can. But more importantly, uh, from a playmaking standpoint, uh, unless Steph Curry is off the floor, then he can look to uh, create because he has to as the secondary point guard. Um, but when he's sharing the floor with Steph, 
Steph is creating and providing easy opportunities and shots for everybody. Let Steph Curry do the handling. And if Jordan doesn't end up getting a shot uh, out of that situation, then it is what it is. Okay. If he does get an opportunity to shoot, giving Clay a rest or something like this because he ends up being open, then take it and be aggressive. If you have open space, uh, cut and look for layups. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Don't just stand around. Uh, learn to move without the ball. Uh, that's that what the, that's what they've been practicing all all season, right? His uh, value, his value is predicated on his all his output and his production offensively. How efficient he is. Are you optimistic? Um, and I'll be honest, like for me to be optimistic, I need it needs to be evidence based. I need to see things, a trend, uh, an indicator, and an, a sign, some type of you know, indication that there is something to work with going forward where we can build off of it. And are like, are, what is your, what are your levels of optimism in terms of him being able to be effective and, and, um, you know, enter back in the series in a way where he can be, you know, on the court for maybe 15, 20 minutes. And we're like, are you, is there any part of you that believes that it's possible or probable or like and then even with gp2 as well like as a closer do you think like what are your thoughts on those two players kind of going forward like how do you see them fitting in okay so once again in regards to the gp2 they need to figure out like is he food poisoned like is he does he is he did he catch some of what loon had like what is the deal with him why was he throwing up uh, after the first six minutes of the first quarter, uh, like, why is he, like, what is he going through? Like, we kind of need to understand that uh, in order to figure out, like, what minutes to use him and stuff like this. If he's okay, if he can go, then uh, you just need to play him. Uh, in, in, the, uh, in the fourth quarter, he did start playing in that fourth quarter. Just a couple of possessions didn't go the best possible. And it's almost as if Kurgis was like, okay, like, I'm just going to stop. It's almost kind of like, okay, Kuminga failed to, you know, do a fundamental play. Um, and now you're just not going to play anymore at all. You know, this is ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody's perfect. Uh, somebody's going to make some mistakes along the way. You know, Clay, six turnovers, the zero assists is disgusting, right? But, like, you give all these other guys, like, all the leeway in the world to whatever, find their rhythm. But it's like when it comes to GP2, we know what his value is. And we know from a consistent standpoint, he's going to come through the longer you play him, right? Because yeah, uh, because he's possession by possession. Every possession, he, the attention to detail, the ability to box out uh, bigger guys and just knowing to put a body on them to begin with and never losing sight of that. Just stuff like that. Winning plays, right? The intangibles. He's always there for that. So to take him out because you... If, if that's what happened, because that looked like it looked like there's no reason for GP to not have been able to come back from uh, a physical standpoint. Like, oh, he was throwing up or he, he wasn't healthy enough to play. It wasn't like that. It's just he got yanked. So yeah, there's a difference. So assuming like he's at full health and strength, like do you, you gotta, expect do you expect Steve to close with him or no? Yeah. Yeah, that's the way to go. He's better than Moody, who is a second year player. Moody has played really well. Don't get me wrong. You know, and he's yeah. got a little more length on him and he's got a little more size on him on GP2 as well. But we're talking about the best of the best when it comes to GP2 and his role, you know. And Moody's then with Jordan, uh, do you expect him like to find his footing in this series at all? In game so Jordan, five? I'm yeah. going to say very specifically that you have to understand the difference between home games and road games. And you have to do, you have to use them differently. You have to... um you know, at home, you can give them maybe a little bit of a longer leash because he because they do play better at home. And if you're, if him being on the floor yields good results, which tends to happen at home, right, then you have more rope to be able to do some of the things that you're talking about in terms of allowing him to be effective and things like this. Mm -hmm. um, just Just from the standpoint of being able to hit shots better at home. And, you know, even in the second game... You know, he, he only played 16 minutes, but he also had five fouls. So he was in foul trouble. Like, 
You know what I'm saying? Uh, he was hitting, he shot three of six from the field, which is 50% at the end of the day. Whereas on the road, he shot 209 and 0 for 4. Right, you see the difference there? Yeah. Uh, so you see the pressure get to the guy. It is what it is. You're, it's, it's do or die every single game moving forward. You know, game five is do or die. Game six is do or die. So, so, so speaking of that, right, um, game five and going forward, uh, in terms of expectations, uh, we can make predictions, but like ad- adjustments, things of that nature, like what do you expect from a results standpoint and from a execution standpoint? So like the how and then the what, like how are we going to get there and what do you think is going to happen? Um, or we can reverse that. What do you think is going to happen and how do you think we're going to get there? So, like, for me personally, right, um, my expectations are we win game five. And then game six is the Lakers' chance to win, like, the series. Now, would I, would I, like, I think we have an opportunity to come back from 3-1. Um, now, opportunity, sure. Do we, is it probable? I don't know. I mean, game six we've seen in the past, like, game six, against the thunder that was like what eight years ago um seven years ago and and then you got the game against like game seven against the rockets right we've been in these road situations where we are in a a must win elimination game and we've come through even last series against sacramento like steph just took over in game seven but game six on the road um you're gonna need others to step up, right? So I'll take it. One, let's take it one game at a time. In game five, uh, you expect to win, and what? Like, do you see any adjustments that we make um, overall? Like, what are your thoughts on that? So game five is do or die, and I do expect the Warriors to win that game because they're they're just better at home. Uh, but you have to number one, you have to treat it like a game seven. That means the minutes, the minutes, Trey. Uh, game four, Steph Curry comes out of the game at the, what, six-minute mark? And then comes back with less than two minutes remaining in the first quarter. The Warriors scored 21 points in the first quarter. Like, that's – and he sat out for uh, four-plus minutes of it. That's insane to me. Like, yo, you're, you're on the road. Like, wh- what do you see sitting that long for? You know what I'm saying? Like, give him a two-minute breather, have him come back, and have him run the offense. Instead, they took it casual, they gave the ball to Jordan Poole, and they tried to they parked Steph in the corner and allowed the Warriors to play four-on-four with Jordan Poole. You're you're putting your lives on the line on Jordan Poole, who's been very inconsistent, and the play basically the play of Jordan Poole and Dante DiVincenzo. I <laughs> I'm sorry, but on the road, I'm not doing that. I'm not relying on those possessions. How, how many points did the Warriors lose this game by? These these, yeah. these possessions are pretty fucking important. And you're wasting it. And you're putting, you're putting uh, the livelihood of your team on these guys that have not performed. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And then the one time that they did use Steph Curry uh, in that final uh, two minutes, right? They got a wide open Dante DiVincenzo corner three out of it, and he hit it right. You give him a wide open shot, uh, he he's a, he can hit that. You know what I'm saying? So don't rely on these other guys to create opportunities because it's much harder for them to create than it is for Steph Curry to uh, create. So so you expect in Game Five that it's going to be a lot of Steph Steph Curry, um, and going forward in Game Six, possibly Game Seven, like. Do you expect a high dosage, a high, um, like a like a like a steady diet, a pick and roll? Like we're not going to really stray away from that. I know we did that for a lot in Game Four, but we strayed away from it in the second half. Like I could see. So this is what I'll say: drawing back from from when we were down three one against OKC, um, and even against Houston, we were down three two. They really leaned into pick and roll. Like it felt like every possession in those series. Um, I remember, and and it's funny, the Thunder were switching everything. Ibaka, Steven Adams, Kevin Durant, they were switching everything. Yep. And these dudes are like legit 6'10, 6'11. Like they can move, 
um, okay, and they got, like, the wingspan. Didn't matter. Steph was just hunting every switch, and he had, like, seven threes in Game 7 or eight threes in that Game 7 against OKC. He was legit in that third quarter. I remember he was just hunting. It felt like Steven Adams got hunted on the same play three times in a row. Like, they didn't mince words. They didn't mince anything. They were locked in on just hunting dudes and and getting into that pick and roll and just having Steph Curry attack those mismatches. It's funny because also last year in game six against Memphis, they did the same thing to Steven Adams too as well. Like they really, Clay Thompson was running pick and roll from the get-go. Like they were forcing Adams to contest, kind of like what we do with AD here. But we, again, we're straying away from it. I feel like down 3-1, right, I kind of expect them to almost exclusively run pick and roll. Um, obviously, they're going to run some motion stuff by nature. But I expect us like an 80-20 split, maybe even, you know, maybe 75-25. But like, it felt like last game, it was kind of like 60-40 or maybe, you know, 65-35. I expect closer to 80-20, maybe even 90-10, depending on the game uh, of pick and roll. You saw it against the the Rockets as well. The Rockets, we were just running straight pick and roll. That game seven, com- like it was all isolation and pick and roll. Um and transition is going to be important as well because if you can capitalize there, you don't have to like depend on your stars as much to just save you. But Steph Curry, we saw in Game Seven against Sacramento what that looks like when he takes a bunch of shots and they're running high ball screen and they're running all these sets. Like I just expect if if the if the Lakers are going to switch these actions, I just expect Steph and hopefully. Pool and Clay and Wiggins to like just attack mismatches and capitalize, but I'm gonna I'm gonna expect a lot of Steph, and if it's gonna be Anthony Davis out there, if it's gonna be LeBron out there, um, you know, whoever it is, like even the smaller guards, like Steph is gonna Steph should just be thinking attack, 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 because there's like you said there's no wasting possessions at this point you're down 3-1 you have to like it's all hands on deck you got to go all out and you got to just develop and lean into whatever you can whatever the most efficient possessions are and so defensively i actually think we've been okay uh we've done a decent job on that end but i think offensively we can do a much better job of involving um and developing certain sets that allow for more efficient possessions. And again, attacking mismatches, running the high ball screens uh, in the pick and roll, and also uh, just straight, like, just taking the big and taking the help defenders out the paint, forcing switches and mismatches. Like, Wiggins in the post, if you're switching actions, like, Wiggins is going to have a mismatch down there. If you're switching actions in clay, Clay, you gotta you gotta space the floor and allow him to just isolate, figure something out. If Jordan Poole, like taking Wenyan Gabriel or whoever is on the floor, like even Lonnie Walker, you gotta attack certain dudes. And with ultimately Steph, like Steph gotta attack whoever's in front of him. And you gotta hunt. You just gotta hunt. Just like teams. Lonnie Walker, they hunted Steph last game, tried to get his legs tired. They they walked him down. It felt like Kyrie in 2016, just every possession, they were just trying to walk him down every time. And Lonnie made shots, but, like, you got to do that for three or four quarters if you're the Warriors. You got to think about that. Trey, Trey, you got to think about that from the standpoint of the Lakers as well. You could argue that, you know, people think, like, oh, Steph Curry's tired now because he ran too many pick and rolls. No, it's because he's being hunted on on, on the defensive end, too, guarding LeBron James, guarding – all these guys that are more uh, either significantly bigger than him or right. significantly more athletic than him. So, um, it, you know, and that that has a say in how he executes offensively down the stretch as well. Of course, he needs a little more help in terms of like his teammates coming through and taking better shots when it comes to Clay Thompson uh, coming. Um, you know, Wiggins making better decisions on how to attack and not just settling for the three just because it's there. Um, especially if it's not falling. 
So, um, and, and he, you know, he's he's great when he's when he's downhill and attacking, uh, or like you said, like hunting mismatches, whatever the case may be. Uh, the, the other thing that automatically happens when you get AD out uh, of the paint is that you have an opportunity to offensive rebound. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's f- partly how you know AD ended up on that ISO against Curry. And what happened? Yep. Draymond getting that. Draymond gets the offensive rebound. Why? Because he has Schroeder on him. By the way, he should have finished that layup. You know, if that was Wiggins, he's finishing that layup because uh, basically, you know, LeBron was trying to recover recover on Wiggins, and uh, there was a point where Draymond had just you know Schroeder on his back, and he was stumbling like he wasn't even in position to guard him. So all he had to do was put the layup, uh, put it, put it, uh, put it straight up for a layup, and the Warriors would have a one point lead. Instead, he kicks it back out to Steph Curry, who was already tired from doing all of this, carrying everything on his back. You know, fourteen turn, uh, fourteen um, assists, uh, one turnover up until that final moment where he, you know, he got that rebound and ended up throwing it away. That that was his second turnover of the game. So he was an absolute master in the pick and roll. Like just taking care of the ball and just executing with so much ease because so many guys are just wide open in the on, on the four and three when he sees it, so he's able to find the seams. Sometimes you have to be a little patient and keep your dribble on, in the pick and roll. You don't have to panic and just pass. Uh, you know, unless they're trapping him hard, that's when you just give it up, right? Let me then, let me ask you this. So you we both think that they're going to win Game Five. Um, have to, which means that Game Six is probably going to be. The, the the game that's like, okay, um, this is it. Like, this is probably the game where if the Lakers are going to win the series, this is it. Do you expect them to win game six? And then also, like, for me, this is my answer, right? So I think if, if game five, if it's just Steph Curry just having to carry the load and he has like 44 points and all this stuff, I don't think it'll come to that, but go on. No, yeah, yeah. If if that's what's happening and this team is dead in the water, I think it's over in six. Like, I don't see this. But I don't see this going past six because it just – if they if these guys can't help them at home and that's the trend. Like, look at last game. Look at then game five. If that happens in game five, then the trend is, is that these guys just aren't going to be able to contribute in any meaningful way. I don't expect them to win game six. But if you tell me that Jordan Poole has 18 points tonight and Clay is, you know, has an efficient 22 and Wiggins has a good, you know, 15 points, but really good defense and guys are just filling in and, you know, you see some rhythm, you see some, some stuff is being built and some, some chemistry and they're kind of figuring it out, you know, and may, maybe they make a couple adjustments, some rotation tweaks. Uh, they stick with GP two. If I'm seeing some positive trends and I'm I'm seeing some, you know, encouraging signs. I think they win Game Six, like honestly, because I don't want to see a, a, a scenario where Steph is carrying the load tonight, and then Game Six, it's like now he has to do it again, but even more because all these guys are gonna play worse. Like if if guys are helping him out tonight, and there's a balanced attack and a balanced effort offensively. And defensively, you know, we're sharp, we're rotating, we're, we're boxing out, we're doing all the right things. And he only needs, like, to score 24 points, maybe eight assists. Like, he's not doing too much. And we kind of blow them out by, like, 17. Which is the ideal scenario, by the way. Like, if that's what happens, I feel good about game six. And then we'll see what happens in that game. If we win that game, then game seven, anything could happen. But... One game at a time, but again, is that kind of your stance as well? Like, if we win tonight, not necessarily how we win, or not 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 necessarily that that we win, but how we win. Um, like, what do you see in terms of Game Five? I know you said we, you think we'll win, but in Game Six, like, is there like a if you if you see Steph kind of backpacking, do you see us like not going past six? Like, how do you see that unfolding? I think that. Uh, you know, people, it is what it is uh, when it comes to this roster uh, and the construction of it and stuff like this. Uh, they just, because they have such little margin for error, you just have to maximize your uh, the possessions that you play, right? That That's really, it's that simple. 
the more possessions you have where you're getting good shots and open shots, wide open shots, you live with them because they're the best shots that you could possibly get against a defense like this. Rather than trying to uh, create something out of not- nothing from the motion, they're blowing everything up, and then you're getting some tough, contested, desperate thing with like four seconds on the shot clock and the motion, which is what usually happens. And, you know, the Warriors have shown that they can also shit the bed uh, at home, uh, as they did in game six um, against the Kings, right? So it can happen. And this is a, this is a do or die situation. So even though it's a game at home, these guys still might feel a lot of pressure uh, at home. And you have to be able to read and recognize that if that's the case. Uh, And if that's the case, then you must shorten the rotations. You must play Steph Curry a lot more than like in the first half, you know, Curry, they act like, oh, Curry's got to get like this four minutes of rest. That's insane. You know, this is the this is what it is what it is. You have to maximize the use of your best player because of the the lack of margin for error and because you have mm-hmm. a shorter uh shorthanded roster and you just have holes right so you have to have a perfect game plan uh to uh, get the most points possible out of each possession and that is with Steph Curry on the floor and that is with Steph Curry creating the pick and roll uh the high pick and roll with AD specifically AD and uh, if there are times where, for example, a Clay Thompson may have to run that pick and roll, um, that can work too. Because if you play the pick and roll with him, uh, they also still want to stay on the shooter, right? Uh, so uh, they can trap him and he can still, he's shown the ability to kind of get out of that, right? So, um, so, ha- so ultimately, you expect the others to help out. And uh, not only tonight, but maybe in game six as well, like, you expect like two through seven to be, you know, maybe not everybody, but by and large collectively be effective and contribute to help us win. I know GP2 is going to be effective. And I know that Wiggins uh, will be effective uh, when they play together. And uh, I expect Clay to be uh, shooting better from home. Uh, But if he doesn't, the Warriors have shown time and time and time again that they are able to overcome that because he has had so many bad games and the Warriors still are able to win convincingly anyway when they have a lot of possessions where they're getting open, wide open layups and stuff like this. You're not supposed to be able to get those in the playoffs. Everything is supposed to be difficult, but Curry creates this advantage. And like I said before, in regards to Curry being a little more tired because he's being targeted, it's the same thing with AD, right? Um, You can tire him out and, allow him to be less effective on offense on the offensive end as well. It goes hand in hand. So uh, do the same thing to him. He is, you target him, uh, their defense becomes the most vulnerable because there's not another guy that comes even remotely close to being what he's able to do in the paint for the Lakers, right? So yeah, do make it simple, man. This is not rocket science. It's not difficult, right? You've seen what works to the point that national media is attacking this national media don't attack Steve Kerr. They don't question the schemes. You know what I'm saying? Like they're the home hometown guys never do it in fear of like messing up the relationship or whatever. But even for a guy like Stan Van Gundy to be asking for the warriors to be spamming that and questioning why they went away from that in his broadcast, not once, but twice. I don't think that's an easy thing to do for a coach to directly question the, schemes and the uh, game plan uh, all together because he sees what's right in front of him and he sees how easy of a shot the Warriors are getting when they play that. So he's just like, why are you running anything other than that? Because this thing is working and that thing is not, right? So what is the purpose of that and why are you doing that? You know what I mean? And uh, there are articles coming out about it. Uh, JJ Redick, uh, who's trying to become a coach apparently, uh, along with Tim Legler having a conversation about that on their podcast. J.J. Reddick calling it out uh, on um, first take with Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith agreeing with it. It's not just me anymore, Dre. It's a lot of people asking for this pick and roll and questioning why Kerr is not doing it, why he didn't do it in game one, why it worked in game two but went away from it again in game three. Why did they go away from it again in, uh, the la- in game four in the final 10 minutes? going away from the most effective pick-and-roll player in uh, Gary Payton 
Like, what are you doing? Right. So uh, this is this is really on Steve Kerr. He blew he blew that home court advantage and he blew uh, a game four. Right. By going away from what was working. You say pick and roll. There's context to the pick and roll. Uh, the whole idea of the pick and roll in the playoffs for the Warriors specifically is that uh, nobody can, nobody can, nobody has been able to figure out how to stop the uh, Steph Curry pick and roll against the, their primary big. That's the biggest key to their uh, championships and going small and uh, putting all that pressure on the uh, big to the point the uh, the other team has to adjust and uh, force the. You know what I'm saying? Like force the other team to adjust yep, instead yep. of instead of bailing them out and doing it for them by going away from what was hurting them the most in the first place. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. No, and 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 I hope that, and I kind of expect in games five through you know whatever it, whether it's five, six, seven, whatever it is, I expect them to kind of go that thunder route where they're just they're just running straight high ball screen every time, and if. Anthony Davis is out there, you're attacking him. If LeBron's out there, you're attacking him. If they trap, you're attacking four on three. Um, I just expect them to mismatch Hunt, and they're gonna do uh, what they can. I think I don't think they're gonna they're gonna play around. Like game five, uh, and then hopefully if we play game six, like I expect them to to all hands on deck, run pick and roll quarters. I mean, high ball screen one through four. Like I, I don't. If they go away from it, like that's um, that's on them because uh, they kind of know the formula at this point. Like it's pretty self evident and clear on uh, what we need to do to win. We've done it in the past. We have a historical uh, basis and uh, precedent that we've set. That um, it's a, it's it's straight out the blueprint um, multiple times. So. Uh, any any final points that you have? Or? Uh, I can't emphasize enough that attacking AD in the high pick and roll uh, and attacking LeBron James in the high pick and roll are two completely different things because that doesn't necessarily completely get AD out of the equation, right? So uh, it's not as big of an advantage doing that. So And LeBron, the fair play to him, like he, he's been pretty good. Uh, and he even, he even caught up to Steph Curry on one of the drives and blocked him, right? Uh, off that pick and roll action so one of the key things again is high higher the better right the closer to the basket that you're running this there's less space and more opportunity for the defense to recover whereas the higher you run it there is more space to work with uh ad just has uh, a longer way to get back into the picture you know what i'm saying so so yeah, you got to understand the context of the pick and roll. You just can't be running it a bunch of times against LeBron James, uh, while AD still has an opportunity to reco- uh, help uh, play good defense uh, in that scenario. Yeah, but if um if AD's off the court, then right, I if AD's have... off the court, but when he's on yeah. the court is yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. talking about because he's that's what the Warriors did in Game Four. You know, they they did run pick and rolls. However, they ran against LeBron James, it was much less effective. It was yeah, and but Jordan and I, I would say Jordan needs to be better at, like he was settling for like thirty footers or like like these like three like LeBron was just in deep drop like he wasn't even coming out there, and like you got to go at LeBron you can't like in the paint you have to make him make a decision either give you the layup or foul or something, but like when 80s off the court you can go at lebron and make him defend like not as a help defender but as like a legit on ball kind of having to like move his feet slide his feet and recover um yeah listen the yeah. lakers made an adjustment with lonnie walker he's certifiably a much bigger threat than a guy like troy brown junior right it, it changes the complexion of how the warriors defense needs to operate and the warriors can't allow uh, many more lapses defensively and Jordan Poole uh, being the liability that he he is uh, he the Warriors are trying to survive the menace that Jordan Poole plays at this point they're not you know what I'm saying they're not going to him to provide a lead or anything along those lines they're just hoping that he plays well enough to either retain a lead or not get too far behind while Steph Curry's off the floor so um, you can't be liberal with these minutes. Uh, every every game is a game seven, and they need to treat it as such, and they need to uh, maximize these Curry minutes. They can't be sitting him for three, four minutes 
uh, at a time of a quarter. There's no time for that anymore, unfortunately. No, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, appreciate you for joining me again. Um, appreciate everybody for listening. You can find us wherever you get your podcast, uh, including the free Odyssey app. So make sure to auto download and uh, get our episodes as soon as they drop. Uh, but once again, guys, uh, we'll do another episode after game five or, or, or six, probably after game five to recap four six. Um, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. Peace out.